chapter 14, reading from verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them. And they said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. And he took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over them all. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. And the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses, and the chariots, the horsemen, and the troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they were camped by the sea near Pi-Hanhiroth, opposite Baal-Zephron. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the, to the desert to die. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and he went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. And coming between the armies of Egypt 
and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. And it turned into dry land. And the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. And a wall of water was on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them. And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. And the Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, and a wall of water was on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Pleased to be with you all this morning. It's lovely to be back here among friends at Lum. I'm going to speak this morning about the crossing of the Red Sea. It's a famous story, and thanks to Robert for reading it so well, it really came across the drama of it. Um, And it was what we might call Moses' first and last day as a lifeguard. I'm glad someone finds that funny. (laughs) But more seriously... God had a rescue plan for his people to get them out of Egypt. So I want to look at his rescue plan for his people and how he rescues us today. He knew what he was doing. He hadn't abandoned his people. It seemed to them that all was lost as the Egyptians were coming towards them. And they lacked faith 
and cried out to God. And they asked Moses why he had brought them into the wilderness to die. And they blamed God and they blamed Moses because they didn't know God's plan and felt they would have been better off where they were as Egypt, in Egypt as slaves. They lacked faith, which was pretty understandable given the situation they were in. They thought they were going to die. And Egypt had been their home, hadn't it? You can understand why they perhaps wanted to go back there. It wasn't ideal. They were slaves. It wasn't great there. But it was probably better than the situation they felt they were in. And sometimes it's easy in life to feel that we might have been better off where we were. Back where we were a few years ago where everything seemed rosy. And it's not easy being displaced either. I'm sure they'd lost their homes, even though those homes weren't ideal. In my background, um, many of you know my dad was a Baptist minister, a retired minister now. And we moved house quite a few times um, in my childhood. Um, And when I was 17, we moved from the northeast of England, um, in South Shields, where my dad was a minister, down to a little village in Herefordshire. Then Carrick and Carol visited, didn't you, on holiday and visited the church there. And when we got there, I was happy to go because I really felt my dad had been called to be a minister there. I knew it was the right place. But My sister went back to university after the summer, so we had quite a nice summer settling in, and then she went back up to Glasgow. And I was there on my own. I'd lost my sister, because she'd gone, and I'd lost all my friends, really, and I had to make new ones. And to be honest with you, I didn't make any new ones during that first year, and it was really tough, and I got a bit depressed. And... You know, I struggled through that first year. And then the beginning of the second year, um, we were there in the September. A young man turned up in the church. And bearing in mind this was a village, pretty isolated in Herefordshire, 20 miles from any big town, and there were no young people in the church. And this young man turned up in the church, and he was a Christian, and... We've been married 20 years this year. (laughs) It was Ben. So God had a plan in my situation. It seemed a bit hopeless, but God brought Ben to me. He'd come from elsewhere in the country to work there. God knew what he was doing. He had his hand on my life. So we need to look ahead, don't we, for the future and have faith in God because he has a plan for each of our lives each of our individual circumstances and sometimes we might be nostalgic we want to go back but we need to look at what God wants us to do now and Moses had faith in God as he said these words to the people just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today we are in God's hands and God has a plan for each one of us. His hand is on our lives and we need to allow him to work out his plans 
even when we struggle and we can't see the way. We need to rest in him. And God's ways can seem strange because we don't have the bigger picture, do we? We don't know why something's happening to us. Only in hindsight can we see things sometimes. And it tells us in this Exodus chapter 13 that God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people must have really been questioning the direction they were going in. Why on earth were they going towards the Red Sea? It was a massive obstacle. How were they going to get out of Egypt that way? Recently, we went for a walk up Scarfell and Scarfell Pike at Easter. And Scarfell is on the right of Scarfell Pike. There are two hills there. And Scarfell can actually appear a bit higher than Scarfell Pike, but it isn't. They used to think it was, but they did some measuring and found out Scarfell Pike is the highest mountain in England. Anyway, we thought we'd hedge our bets, and we went at both of them. So it was a big walk, and we just wanted to make sure we got to the highest point in England. And from the top of Scarfell, which is where we are there, we could see Scarfell Pike just across from us. It looked dead easy just to walk over there and get across. But it isn't actually that easy because there's a cliff face and you can't do it. So we had to walk down part way to go back up Scarfell Pike, which was a bit disheartening, to be honest with you. And Jasmine said to me as we were going down, why is he going down? Why is Ben going down? Because he was leading the walk and he planned the way. The rest of us were just followers. We didn't know where we were going. And I said to Jasmine, I said, I'm sure he knows what he's doing because he does. He plans things really carefully. And I trusted him because I've walked with him for donkey's years trusted him to navigate our route. It wasn't an easy path down. And then we had to walk up, back up, up this. So it was tough walking to get back up to Scarfell Pike. But it was the safest route to achieve what we wanted to achieve. It was better than going down that big cliff face. We had to do a little bit of scrambling at the bottom because... Um, we miscalculated slightly and the kids and Ben found the scrambling a little bit really easy I found it really hard I had to get Ben to tell me where to put my hands and my feet because I was less confident and a bit fearful but we trusted Ben to navigate and we need to trust God don't we to navigate our lives to navigate the way for the church even when we don't understand what's happening around us and we can't see the way forward, because he knows the way forward. God has the map, and he sees the bigger picture. Sometimes some of us might be less confident than others, like me with the scrambling. And we need to support each other. None of us can navigate the Christian life alone. We need to reassure each other of God's presence and his plan. For those Israelites, the route wasn't easy, but God made that route possible. He knew the way and he led them. 
he didn't abandon them. And he was present with them all the time, wasn't he? In that pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It tells us that he guided them during the day with a pillar of fire and provided light at night. Sorry, a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire, which allowed them to travel by day or night. And the Lord didn't remove the pillar of cloud or fire from its place in front of the people. They were always there. They were constant because God is constant. He's constantly with us and he never leaves us. And he was leading them day and night. Isn't it wonderful that God leads us day and night all the time? He's with us. He's there for us. So there were two primary missions of the cloud. Firstly, to guide the people. But secondly, to be the image of God's presence with his people. His presence that was in the cloud when it covered Mount Sinai and in the cloud that rested on the tent of meeting when Moses went to meet with the Lord. He was always with them and he's always with us by his spirit. When we feel alone, when we are afraid, when we are in those wilderness experiences, when we don't understand what's going on, what on earth is happening, God is with us by his spirit, showing us the way. John's gospel tells us that when he comes, the spirit of truth will guide you to all truth. And didn't the Holy Spirit take on the form of a cloud at the transfiguration of Jesus? It says, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. So the Holy Spirit was present in the cloud and present in the fire. And God is always there guiding and lighting our path. Now we're not probably not going to find that we've got a great big pillar of cloud and fire in front of us. I don't think Susanna's going to have that on her walk as she guiding her way. I'm sure she'd like it if she did. It'd be easy for her navigationally. But we have God's word in scripture to speak to us today, to guide us. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And sometimes we can get a nudge, can't we, to go somewhere, to do something. We can feel a spiritual calling to go and speak to somebody or God directing our path. When I was at university um, many years ago, um, I um, went to Canterbury Christ Church College. I did a religious studies degree there. And I went to the local church um, the first couple of Sundays and it was okay, but I wasn't really feeling that that was where I wanted to be. And then I went to a freshers' fair and I joined, signed up to join the chamber choir at the college. And um, I didn't know this, but the chamber choir's role was to actually sing for the um, services once a month. You had to dress up in, like, cassocks. It was all a bit weird and Anglican for me, coming from a Baptist background. But anyway, I went and did it. 
And um, then the next Sunday, after I'd been to that service at the chapel, I didn't really know where to go to church. I thought, well, shall I go back to that church that was okay, or shall I go to the chapel? And I walked out the halls of residence. I didn't know which way I was going to walk. I was very confused about the whole thing, but I felt a strong pull towards the chapel. And that was where God wanted me to serve him. I became the chapel warden in my second year, and I did a lot of things there, and that was where God wanted me. And sometimes he calls us, and he makes it clear that he guides our paths. Next thing I want to talk about in this passage is God's sovereignty. Because he displayed his sovereignty in his great escape plan for his people. He said, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. We learn how Pharaoh changed his mind. He pursued the Israelites after he had let them go. He was extremely stubborn. There had been great suffering in Egypt through the plagues, and it took the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt, and in fact the death of Pharaoh's own firstborn son, for him to eventually have had enough and to call Moses and Aaron and say, get out. He'd absolutely had it with them. But even after that, he pursued them. And God used his stubbornness to display his sovereignty. And we need to remember that God is sovereign over the powers of this world. When we see corrupt leaders who just want power and don't care about the people they're there to serve, we know that God's power is greater. We're all a bit fed up of Brexit, aren't we? And however you felt about Brexit, whether you want it or not, it's not going great. And we need to remember God's got his hand on that. We don't know what's going on. We haven't got a clue. The politicians haven't got a clue. But God does. God's got his hand on it. He's sovereign. So when we don't know what's happening in the world politically, we need to remember he's in control. And we heard of those terrible attacks on Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. And... Jeremy Hunt asked the Bishop of Truro to do a review on the persecution of Christians. And his report found that Christians are the most persecuted religious group, with acts of violence and intimidation becoming more widespread. He warned that in parts of the Middle East, Christianity could be wiped out as people flee persecution. And Mr. Hunt accepted the findings that the persecution of Christians was near genocide. And said, I think we've all been asleep on the watch when it comes to the persecution of Christians. And those Christians who are being persecuted, they're some of the poorest people on the planet. And in the Middle East, the population of Christians was about 20%, and it's now down to 5%. 
We need to pray so much for the persecuted church, for those Christians around the world. Many face death. They don't have the freedom. They won't understand their suffering. They won't know what God's plan is. But they've got faith. And we need to pray for their protection. I was looking into this and I went on the Open Doors website and it talks about how an Open Doors worker attended a service in Sri Lanka a week after the attacks. And they said that initially Sunil, who was another Open Doors field worker, mentioned that there wouldn't be as many attendees as normal. You can imagine he was expecting everybody to be frightened off. But he thought there'd be about 10, and there were about 20 to 25 with some new believers as well. And the worker was touched by the courageous faith of that small congregation. And he said, if there's one opportunity that God has shown me while here in Sri Lanka, it's the opportunity for myself to see his precious devoted remnant. The bombings, though horrific, have made a distinction between those who shrink back and those who stay on and persevere. It's also showing me that we're on the right track in prioritizing the strengthening of the Christian family in Sri Lanka. We don't understand the persecution of Christians, but we can have faith in a God who has a plan for his people. He is a God who parted the Red Sea, and he has control over all things he is sovereign, and we can trust him, even when things seem bleak. It tells us that Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind a wind that blew all night and turned the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel, they walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with those walls of water on each side. And we read that it took all night. Sorry. We read that it took all night, so it must have been a strange experience. As the Egyptians pursued them into the middle of the sea, we can only imagine the fear they must have had, but also the awe and wonder at what was happening as that water went back for them. I think the closest experience I've ever had to crossing the sea was when I crossed the causeway over to Holy Island many years ago. I was on a scripture union holiday when I was about 15, And we crossed the causeway, but we didn't do it in the day. That would be too sensible. We did it in the dark about 11 o'clock, 10, 11 o'clock at night. It was our last night treat for our holiday. Strange treat, you might say. Uh, I could feel the soggy sea bed under my feet, and I didn't know what was under my feet because it was dark. It was memorable. It was a strange experience. They took us back for hot chocolate afterwards, so it was all quite jolly. But I don't think that compares to anything like the experience of the Israelites. We didn't have an Egyptian army pursuing us for one thing, or a pillar of fire guiding us, or those walls of seawater. It's interesting that the Red Sea was the Sea of Reeds. 
plants. It might have been full of plants. And there's various theories about the location. It's thought now to perhaps be the Gulf of Aqaba on the western coast of the Sinai Peninsula. And divers have actually found coral-encrusted bones and chariot remains in the Gulf of Aqaba. It was previously thought to be the Gulf of Suez, but over the years, divers searched that area in vain for artifacts to verify the biblical account. And researchers have studied the maps of the region and archaeological records and topographical features where such an event may have been possible. And they settled on an area south of the Mediterranean Sea where some oceanographers say a branch of the River Nile drained into what was called the Lake of Tanzis, a coastal lagoon 3,000 years ago. And they created a computer model. It's very clever. I couldn't even set up my PowerPoint this morning. Never mind do that. But they created a computer model that showed a 63-mile-per-hour east wind blowing across the area, pushing back the waters into both lakes and the channel of a river exposing a mudflat of two to two and a half miles long and three miles wide. And as the winds died down, the waters quickly flowed back, which in theory would have drowned anyone on the mudflat. It's interesting. And we don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that God did it. God planned it, and he knew how to get his people across that sea, away from the Egyptians. He is sovereign, and he led them to a place of safety. The Red Sea was a massive obstacle, but God used it as an opportunity to display his sovereignty and to rescue his people. And he can overcome all the obstacles we face today, all the things we worry about. He will overcome them. He's in control. God has a plan for his people today, for us here in Rosendale, and for that persecuted church in the Middle East, for the church in Sri Lanka. I believe God has a future for the Christians there. We need to trust him. We need to have faith. In verse 14, Moses said, The Lord will fight for you today. You need only be still. It's wonderful, isn't it, that we've got a God who fights for us, someone who fights our corner. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In an uncertain world, he is sovereign. We can be still and we can trust him. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean we don't have to act and move forward and try things. We do. We need to act. But we can rest in his promise for the future. God had a rescue plan for the Israelites and he has a rescue plan for us through his son Jesus Christ who died and who rose again to defeat death for our salvation. He loves each one of us. He cares about our individual paths and we don't need to be afraid. 
was listening to Rod Bevan preach last Sunday, and he was talking about how ancient shepherds walked in front of the sheep. They led the sheep to to good pasture, and God goes ahead of us like that pillar of cloud and fire. He's ahead of us, guiding the way. He goes in front. He cares about what jobs we have. He cares about his our families, and we are in his hands. Had a funny phone call from my sister um, the other day. I often have funny phone calls from her. Usually her little boys come on and they're all chatting to me and it's chaos. But she phoned me up on her mobile during the day. I thought, that's a bit strange. And she goes to a church in Wooden Bassett, um, where she lives. And she was sat with Simon and Phoebe, who were our pace team. They were our original pace the PACE team members with Meredith. I'm sure you remember them. And it transpired that Simon is now the youth worker in her church. And he'd been there a few months, and my sister had only just discovered that they knew us. So she put them on the phone, which was quite nice, (laughs) and I had a little chat with them. But they've just got married, and they've settled there in Wooden Bassett, and they're serving God And I thought it was lovely that we'd been part of their journey, those three churches in Rosendale. We've got that pace team, and that young couple have started their lives. So we were instrumental. God had a plan for them. We have a God who leads the way. We can fear all sorts of things in life. We can shy away from new challenges. But instead, we need to trust God, who is sovereign, and who is our rescuer. Amen.